Welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. My name is Pastor William Hill. I'm the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church located in Evansville, Indiana. It's great to have you here with me for a Thursday, January 19th, 2023. This is edition number nine of season eight as we continue working our way through the Westminster Confession of Faith, looking at it both theologically and, of course, devotionally, uh, pastorally. Today, we now turn our attention to chapter 2. We'll begin with paragraph 1. We'll only take part of this paragraph as we consider now the doctrine of God. But let's pray first, and then we'll consider these things together. Our Father in heaven, as we come now to your word, we come asking that you would instruct and teach us and guide us. We thank you that you have revealed yourself in your word, and after we have considered now in detail the uh, matters related to the Holy Scriptures, we now turn our attention to the person and work of who is our God indeed as revealed in your word. We pray for your spirit to teach us and illumine our minds and our hearts, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, we have considered matters related to the Scriptures, and it's in the Scriptures that that we find, of course, God revealing himself to his uh, his people. And it's there, of course, in the scriptures that we gain an accurate understanding, even if it's uh, not to the absolute depth that that God, who is God, uh, um, uh, truly is. But we know that as he reveals himself, he tells us that which we need to know in order for us to live our Christian lives. And so chapter 2 begins in a very important place. Uh, It begins with the doctrine of God. It does not even consider the doctrine of man until we get to uh, chapter uh, 6. And so, why is this important? Well, it is vitally important in our study of theology that we begin uh, where the Bible begins. Uh, We must have an understanding of who God is. If we're going to rightly understand who we are um, in light of the God of heaven, now, John Calvin himself wrestled with this very question in, in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, the question, of course, being, where do we begin? Do we begin with the knowledge of God or knowledge of ourselves? And while he admitted that it is um, important to recognize that those are not mutually exclusive issues in the sense of how they relate to one another, um, you have to start somewhere. And I would argue, of course, that if we start with the doctrine of God, we'll end in the right places, usually, But if we start with the doctrine of man, we tend to end by recreating God in our own image. So it's important for us to know, as creatures made in his image, what he says about himself. And so we're going to begin looking at chapter 2 of God and of the Holy Trinity. We're only going to consider a portion of the opening paragraph today. We'll continue looking at this opening paragraph in the Friday edition. But let me just read the entirety of the paragraph, and then I'll make some comments um, uh, at the completion of this, this brief reading. We read there in chapter 2, paragraph 1, There is but one only living and true God, who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body parts or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will, for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, 
and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. Now the confession begins by stating that there is but one only living and true God. The Shema of Israel in Deuteronomy 6 makes that very clear. In verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is to say that God is one. We are monotheistic. Now, we believe that um, there is one God, three persons. We're going to come to that in paragraph 3. But for now, it's important to recognize that there is only one living and true God. The world has many gods. And man is capable of creating many gods out of many things. As Calvin would say, we are nothing but idol factories. But it's important to recognize that there's only one true God of heaven and earth. He who has made all things, decreed all things, revealed himself even in his word. It is the issue, of course, that led to great trouble for the people of old, the church of old in the Old Testament, where they would give their hearts and affections to other gods, impotent gods, gods who could not hear, gods who could not do anything. And so the confession makes it very clear that the scriptures themselves reveal to us and show us without question there is only one living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection. That is to say that we we can't possibly even plumb the depths of the, the greatness and perfection and uh, of the God of heaven. We, um, we will always come up short because of our, uh, our weakness, because of our, uh, in, our inability uh, to uh, plunge even the depths of, uh, of the God uh, of creation. Now, it goes on to say, of course, that he's a most pure spirit, invisible without body parts or passions. In John chapter 4, Jesus there at the, uh, in the encounter with the woman on the well, He makes reference to this fact in verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. That is to say, he's not like us, though we are made in his image. He is a pure spirit, a simple spirit, um, without body parts, passions of any kind, any nature. Now the scriptures sometimes refer to God in this way. It'll say that God sees or God's hand or his feet, or some reference to a body part. But that does not mean that he has those things. Those are anthropomorphisms. Those are representations of God so that our feeble brain, which is finite, would be able, is able to understand and comprehend this God that has revealed himself. This is the doctrine of accommodation. God accommodates uh, to his creatures. He accommodates us that we might understand him better. But he's a most pure pure spirit. He's invisible without body, parts, or passions. He's immutable. This is to say that God does not change. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now, you and I change. We change our minds all the time. We purpose to do something and then we end up doing something else. Other things change our course and direction. Um, we are changeable creatures. We have changed even in the seven minutes that this this video, as you've been watching this video, you've been changing. But God does not change. And the comfort that brings to us, of course, is that when God says things in his word to his people, when he makes promises, when he makes these statements in his word, we can count on them. We do not have to wonder if God will change his mind at some point down the road. Imagine a God who gives the way to salvation through Christ alone, 
by faith alone, because of grace alone. Imagine a God who says that, and then later on down the road, he changes his mind and says, nope, nope, we're going to do it a different way now. Um, A God like that could not be trusted. But that is not the God as revealed in Scripture. He's a God who is unchangeable. He is immutable. He's immense. He's eternal. No beginning. There is no end with God. No one fashioned him, no one made him. He has been and always was, has been and always will be God. He is the great I am. He's incomprehensible. Now this may discourage you at some level. It really shouldn't, but that is to simply say that we cannot comprehend him to the fullness. Uh, we can understand him to some extent as he's revealed himself in his word, but there is much about God that we do not know. But that which he has revealed to us will never contradict the things that we don't know about him. And we will indeed spend eternity learning about God. Psalm 145, verse 3, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. He's almighty. That is to say, he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's able to do what he decrees to do. He's able to do what he says he would do. Nothing can stay his hand. Nothing can stop him from accomplishing his purposes. Now, again, this brings us comfort because as he makes promises to us, the God who does not change, he is able then, therefore, to bring to pass what he says he will do for us. One of the things he's told us very plainly is that he will bring us to our eternal rest in the new heavens and the new earth. And how is he to do that? Well, because he is the Almighty. And he is able to accomplish those purposes, those things, to ensure that we arrive safely in our heavenly home. He is most wise. Uh, Wisdom, of course, comes from God, and we ask God for wisdom. Why? Because He is the source and fountain of all wisdom. And when the confession uses these, these adjectives, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, it is saying that it's trying with human language to adequately describe these things. And how is it you can adequately describe the wisdom of an infinite God? It's beyond our comprehension how wise God is. You remember the story of Solomon, of course, when he was asked to ask anything and God would grant it to him. And what did he ask for? He asked for wisdom. And wisdom that God grants to his creatures as they ask for it. James chapter 1, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And so we must ask him for his wisdom in dealing with matters of life and how to understand various circumstances and how to apply rightly the word of God into our practical daily experience. But we seek it from him because he is most wise. He's most holy. Now the word of God makes it very clear that he is the thrice holy God. Isaiah chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I would contend, of course, that it is the center seat of all that God is. It is that which most adequately and accurately describes Him. And from this thrice holy nature springs all of the things that God does. His love and His justice and His kindness and His compassion. It's all bathed in perfect holiness, set apart from the creature, set apart from anything that would taint Him, uh, set apart from any indwelling Uh, blackness or darkness. He is the most holy God of heaven. He is most free. Unlike you and me, we are not free. We, We do make decisions, of course, but we are trapped within the contingencies of our decisions. We are trapped within the responsibilities of our lives, and thus we do not make absolutely free decisions 
as God does. When God determined to create, he, he determined to do that freely. There was no contingency upon him. Whether he de- decided to create or not create would not have changed anything. Whether he decides to rescue or save somebody or not save somebody would not, would, does not change anything. He is most free to do everything according to the counsel of his own perfect will. And he is most absolute. There is no God like this God. Isaiah 45, 5 and 6, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, thou, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. Absolutely without discussion. The only God of heaven and earth is the one true and living God is revealed to us in the word of God. And so in these things, we can draw much hope and really much comfort, very practically, uh, to recognize and understand that we serve a living God. We serve a God who is powerful, almighty, able to do all that he has said he would do, a God who never changes. He's not going to pull the rug out from underneath us. What he says he will do, he does indeed do. Wise, he is most wise, and thus we can we can count on his wisdom as he works in our lives, as things happen to us. Sometimes those dark providences that we don't really enjoy. And, uh, but we know that comes from the wisdom of a holy God, a holy Father who wants our best. A God who is able to do all that he says. And so, as we reflect and meditate upon the God of heaven, we should draw great comfort and strength uh, as we do that, we, we see the God who is for us, and we see something of his nature, his character, and it brings us hope. It brings us refreshment in a very dark and trying, adulterous world in which we live. We can look to this God, and we can have great hope in the promises that he has offered to us. The one God, living, true, real, the Almighty of heaven and earth, the God that we owe our entire lives. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you. I hope they are. If you have any comments or questions, you can leave me a note. The way to reach me is there before you on the screen. And so until the Friday edition, when we continue in paragraph one of, um, of chapter two, may the Lord help you today. May you spend some time even meditating on some of these very important truths about how God has revealed himself. And may it help you walk the Christian life. God bless.